Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Um, this is Matt and MJ is on the line with me too. Say what's up, MJ. Hey, what's up, everybody? And so real quick before we start the show, um, we have a guest. We had a guest lined up for this week, Dan Richards from Zometry, and, and that episode is still going to post. But um, we're going to run a solo cast this week just because we had an external circumstance um, happen which is compelling us to have to change the name of the show. And so while we go through that transition of changing the name and, and and having to make a slight tweak to that new logo that we actually got made, uh, we wanted to be fair to, to Daniel and our future guests as well, and just make sure they got like the experience of that new brand and name of the podcast. So with that in mind, we still wanted to ship it because we like to do podcasts every week, although we may not do one next week just because it's Thanksgiving. Um, And so We'll hopefully have that resolved by the end of the month, and then we'll be same format, same two people, slightly different name, and we'll be off and running. And got anything to add to that, MJ? No, I was just going to say in the meantime, we're going to talk about marketing technology today because it was a listener request. And so I know, Matt, you had a couple of questions that you wanted to throw out there. We're just doing it live. So I think it's an interesting topic and uh, might as well just get right into the content, right? Yeah, so this is actually a really interesting topic, I think, for industrial marketers particularly, because you know there's a lot of options out there. But for most of, most marketers in the manufacturing space, you're not running. It's not you're not running sophisticated stuff, but you just have so little bandwidth, I think, to use a lot of the martech that's out there and available and at your disposal, right? Like there's so much out there, um, and so, but. I, that actually led me to a different question I was thinking about before we started the show. Um, and we're both HubSpot users. Um, and I'm not going to lie. Like I made my career uh, in part due to HubSpot. Like I introduced HubSpot at Benzel. I became like the expert at HubSpot. Um, I became known as the HubSpot guy for at this global company essentially. And so HubSpot by and large kind of made my career um, part because they did a great job onboarding me. But I wonder about whether marketers need a marketing CRM in some scenarios. And I only say that because of the cost of, and I think HubSpot is the best marketing CRM of all of them, but it's, you know, if, if you have less than a thousand contacts, it's, it's minimum $10,000 a year. And think about kind of all the capabilities within HubSpot, how much of it do you actually use? So I, I wanted to throw that to you and just ask you as a VP of marketing with a larger team, and um, a more, you know, a more sophisticated marketing operation. Do you think when you were just starting out at Firetrace, did you think a tool like HubSpot was essential and why? Yeah, HubSpot was the first thing that I wanted to implement at Firetrace. And I had to do the stakeholder analysis to make sure that the sales team was comfortable switching from their existing CRM solution. And as it turned out, I was in a really good position because they were running this custom install of Microsoft Dynamics that was costing. Proprietary CRM. (laughs) It was was off the shelf from Microsoft, but they had done a lot of custom things that were causing them to pay over 30 grand a year for it. So HubSpot was actually cost savings for us, which was nice. However, The reason that I think it's important to actually have your marketing CRM, and for us, it's it's also our sales CRM, but having all of your contacts go through the whole life cycle of convert on the website, become an opportunity, 
engage with sales and then close, I think that's really important because you can see the entire life cycle that a contact goes through and therefore you have a much better shot at understanding how the marketing activities you're doing are tying back to revenue. Just that level of visibility. Yeah, I, I, you know, to be completely transparent, I've never worked in a situation where I was just using HubSpot and then the sales team was using a different CRM. I think that situation would massively devalue HubSpot. That's me speculating, of course, because I've never been in that situation. But to me, the value is that it's end to end from the moment they first engage with you in an ad or in a Google search or whatever, all the way through to when they become a paying customer and and associated with a closed one deal, you can see everything that happens through that customer journey. For sure. So I can actually speak to that scenario because um, I I work with clients who who have that. Um, So I have one particular client who uses pipe drive and then uses, we have them on HubSpot and it's not very clean (laughs) to be honest. And I don't have regrets about HubSpot because I still think from a marketing standpoint, end to end, it's really important, but Oof, man, it's not like integrating Salesforce into HubSpot where it's super seamless. I've, I've done that and it's, you know, that works brilliantly. And then obviously HubSpot full stack is HubSpot full stack. But if you're using, you know, if, you, if you're using something like Pipedrive or another sales CRM, I would do a very deep needs analysis and really understand if you can, if you're willing to stomach the headaches that are going to come with a non-compatible see a, a marketing CRM like HubSpot because, you know, something like Pipedrive, and that's that's the experience I'm thinking of right now because it's my use case. I mean, using a tool like PySync is going to be very imperfect trying to integrate that together. And like you're slapping together a bunch of workflows in PySync to basically try to make it work, but there's just properties that won't match up. You're not tracking activity across CRMs and um, I, you, you, you could see the frustration in, in some of the sales guys with, with that particular client in terms of that. And so I, I think you need to really look at what, what is sales using for a CRM and can you move them off of it? Probably not. Um, so I think, I think in large part, your sales, sales CRM, you should really get to know that tool very well before deciding on whether HubSpot's the right marketing CRM for you or if you even need a marketing CRM at all. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good way to look at it is assuming sales doesn't want to switch because I actually did the opposite thing, right? Sales was using a different CRM and I really wanted to use HubSpot. And so I convinced them to switch for me. <laughs> but right. if assuming sales doesn't want to switch then you need to learn their tool and then you need to build the tech stack ecosystem around the sales tool. Because if, if what you're using is not compatible with what the people who are closing revenue are using, then you're always going to have a disconnect between marketing and revenue, which is going to ultimately lead to bad results. And not only that, like you're putting yourself, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself as a marketer. Like you're just, just the, you know, the pressure will be on you to make that integration work and to make sure your sales team is happy with it and they're bought into it. And you'll have, you get, that's a long sell, sell job. You have to sell that to salespeople and salespeople sell all the time. So, I mean, that's, I'm not saying it's an uphill battle because I was able to do that at Benzo with HubSpot, mostly because there was enough hunger there to see something like that happen. But it's definitely something that you need to consider. 
um, and, and take a long look at and make sure that whoever's leading sales in your organization is 100% backing you and aligned with you on it. Because if they're not backing you and making sure that the sales team is, is following through on that, if you integrate something like that, I mean, you're, you're setting yourself up for uh, a big time failure. So Matt, what are the parts of HubSpot that you lean on heavily and get the most use out of? And and then after you kind of take us through that, maybe we can talk about what tools are out there that would be viable solutions if you decided to go the no HubSpot route or no marketing CRM route and just mm-hmm. build around your sales team solution. Yeah, so the, I think that the tool that everyone at HubSpot who's really proficient in it lean on a lot is the workflows tool. Like that's, that's where you just can get a lot of stuff done and get and and really move a lot of data and create a lot of rules and just automate a lot of your backend activity. I'm not a fan of using workflows for lead nurturing nearly as much as I used to. I used to be very dependent on that. Not as much anymore, but I like to use workflows to, you know, assign sales to, um, I, I like to use it to, um, populate d- data, um, pass things from Salesforce to HubSpot, um, things like things of that nature. I, I think the workflows tool is just an essential tool to learn at a high level in HubSpot. And that's ultimately, I think, where HubSpot's tool is the most valuable one out there. Um, I just I just think that it's it's just a really, it's really powerful. Um, the contacts tool and the list building tool, I think are also similarly very powerful tools. Um, and and I think that those are other ones to learn. And and the, the real power with HubSpot, I think, where it gets really special is just the ability to filter and segment between contacts. Um, and, and I really like to do that. The reporting tool, I think, has gotten a lot better. Um, and I really like getting visibility into like the, the analytics and then seeing and drilling down like sections of conversion and then seeing how people are converting on, on your website. Um, I always think that's very fascinating. And then the... You know, the form builder tool, I think, is obviously really good. You can get really creative with that uh, building with hidden fields or or things of that nature. So um, thinking about it, like in terms of which tools I use the most in HubSpot, it's probably those those four or five. Yeah, totally agree. Automation is the linchpin, which I think is funny because if I think back to when I was being sold HubSpot for the first time. They leave the email. (laughs) Yeah, automation is the big upsell from kind of the basic package, which is free or 50 bucks a month or whatever it was, to the professional, which the list price is $800 a month. Mm-hmm. And the main upsell is the automation. And I, at the time, I was like, why do I need this? And now I couldn't live without it. Oh, I know, right? Oh, my God. Especially I mean, if you're using Salesforce or if you're using a webinar tool or something like that, oh, my gosh, it makes your life so much easier. But the thing is, a lot of people don't understand how to use it really well and like how you can create, you know, rules within it, um, how you can um, how you can integrate things with Salesforce in it. Um, just just how expansive that the workflow tool is so expansive. It's it's phenomenal. Um, and so when you have like a certain level of mastery over it, who it really makes your life a lot easier. So I say for anyone out there who is getting who's use, using HubSpot right now and not feeling like you're getting a ton of value out of it, or who's thinking about getting HubSpot, invest in the workflow tool because that's going to be the one that really makes your life a lot easier, for sure. Yeah, especially makes your life easier when you're dealing with pulling data over from from sales opportunities and connecting it back to marketing opportunities. 
because there's a lot of data that needs to be moved around and you don't want to be doing that yourself. Um, You mentioned the reporting tool, which is another tool that I love in HubSpot, but I think it's really interesting that you use that for analytics. I do almost no analytics, web analytics in HubSpot. All of the reporting that I do in HubSpot is inbound revenue reporting. So I did that too. Um, So in my past experience, we were a HubSpot Salesforce um, organization. So I did all of my revenue reporting in Salesforce. So that was, that was the master data. So I built the reports in Salesforce. I built the dashboards, dashboards in Salesforce and HubSpot was very much my marketing dashboard. So I would do like step down conversions, right? Like lead to MQL to SQL to SQO. I would, I would look at those kinds of numbers. Um, I would also look at things at, because I was really optimizing for sales intent stuff, I would be like, okay, so what is my, you know, quote request form submission to opportunity to close one or something like that, right? I would look at those sorts of metrics a lot in HubSpot. Those are really interesting to me. Um, and so I pay close attention to that stuff. And my sales director and I would look at that and go, okay, so where's there a break in, um, in that? Like if we're only converting, you know, if only... 12% of my demo requests are even are even getting converted into an opportunity. Like what's going on with that? Why is that the case? Um, and is it like, all right, what's the, what's the time in between? So yeah, I mean, I, I use the reporting tool in HubSpot when I was doing it at Binzel, particularly that's my most experience with it. I used it really to look at it all the way up into the opportunity stage. And then when I really was looking at it at marketing at a sales or revenue level, that's when I was going into Salesforce and building those reports out. So, cause that's what my executive team was looking at. They wanted to see Salesforce reports. And so, you know, I wasn't going to try to change their mind on it cause everything else was being done through Salesforce. So I built those reports out there um, and then did everything up until that point in HubSpot. So what do you use on top of HubSpot? Assuming you've got HubSpot, what else are you going to go out and buy to add to your marketing tech stack and why? Yeah. So because I'm such a big fan of webinars, I'm going to buy a webinar tool. Um, So there's Zoom and there's GoToWebinar. I think those are the two main ones. There's some other ones out there. Uh, We'll shout out Ashley Levesque. There's Demio, um, which seems like an interesting tool. Um, Michelle Kwan or, or Melissa Kwan, I should say. Um, has a, a tool called eWebinar, which I think is really interesting. There's other webinar tools out there. Um, but um, the Zoom or GoToWebinar, obviously the main ones, um, they're both integrated into HubSpot really well. And I'm always thinking like revolving around the HubSpot ecosystem. So that's probably the first thing that I bought outside of HubSpot when I wanted to get another marketing tech tool. I went with GoToWebinar because I thought the HubSpot integration with it was better. Um, I, I still think it's better, although I will admit that Zoom webinar has some capabilities that GoToWebinar doesn't, which I also think is interesting. Like you can just run people off a list and roll them in into a webinar from a workflow in HubSpot and Zoom, and you can't do that in GoToWebinar. So it's really interesting when you kind of see how the integrations work, the kind of flexibility you have or you don't have between some of those tools. So uh, that that definitely is really interesting, and I'm sorry, my daughter's kind of below me, just shuffling around. If you can hear anything in the background, but um, um, let's see, the other stuff I was looking to buy or I would have bought. Um, it's a good question. I mean, that that was really it was it was really the, that was the the first tool I bought, and I was I was really into getting. Um, I'm trying to think if I've used other tools 
Um, like, you know, we had Microsoft Teams that we used. I wouldn't consider that a marketing tech tool. Um, for SEO. Oh yeah, absolutely. So good point. So I'm, let's get that's let's get out of HubSpot. So um, I, I use I, we use we use a gorilla. We use Ahrefs. Um, big fan of Ahrefs. Now we don't use it for SEO necessarily. We we use it more for PPC to be to be honest. And then we also use it to just look for like keyword opportunities for for our um, uh, for our clients. So. Um, I think honestly, given what we use it for, I think we're better off using a tool like Moz just because Moz will give us a lot of that same data and it and it'll be a little less expensive. I think if you uh, want to get into SEO or want to use an SEO tool, um, I would honestly start with Moz. And if you get really good at it and advanced at it, I think you should then bump up to SEMrush or Ahrefs. I just think Moz is a more user-friendly tool. I don't think it's quite as robust. Uh, I think when you see it at first glance, you just kind of get it a little bit more, and and I would and I, I would just start there. It's just it's just to me, it's a little more accessible than Ahrefs or Semrush, which I think the first time I'm, I'm, someone in marketing sees that, it can look a little overwhelming. Have you ever used an SEO tool yourself? Yeah, so I have a couple of thoughts on this. The first one is if you have a really small team, like you're a one person marketing team, or even all the way up to the size of my team, which is myself plus five direct reports. However, some of them are in product management. All the way up to that size of team, I think you could honestly get by with all free tools. Like you could do a pretty good job of identifying keyword opportunities between the AdWords keyword planner, which is free, and Google Search Console, which is also free. Um, again, if you're using HubSpot, they have an SEO planner tool, which could complement some of that. But realistically, if you have a three, four, five, six person team and you're responsible for product marketing, demand gen, SEO, content marketing, webinars, video, all of it, and product management, then you're probably not creating that many pieces of SEO content every single week or month. And so do you really need that level of detail? Maybe you want it and maybe SEO is your main channel and your main play. But if if you're only going to be doing one piece of SEO content a month or maybe an optimization here or there, then you could probably just get away with the free tools and they'll give you what you need. And you can still get quite a lot of juice out of that, depending on how competitive your industry is for SEO. So that said, that's one way to do it. The tools that I've used are SEMrush. I used that in 2016 was the last time I used SEMrush. And I don't know how the tool has evolved since then, but it was a great tool then. But looking back, it feels very keyword centric. And Mm -hmm. I feel like marketing today is not keyword centric. It's a lot more contextual, especially with the way the Google algorithm has changed. So now we're using this tool called Demand Jump, and it gives me a lot of interesting contextual information. And there's a lot of use cases for Demand Jump beyond SEO, but we are using it primarily for SEO. It, It gives you insight into keywords as well as insight into questions that people are asking and the types of questions people ask together and the types of questions that the same person will ask different questions but related and then how you and your competitors and other websites are doing in terms of capturing all of that traffic so I feel like it gives me a more holistic 
approach that allows me to create content that answers questions as opposed to content that's targeting keywords. That's really, I've never actually heard of that tool called Demand Jump. Can you give the listeners a sense of how much that costs? Yeah, so the package we're on is $400 a month, but I think they have a one package more basic than ours, which is $99 a month. Okay. You might have to fact check me on that. Right. It's actually interesting you bring that up because uh, there was one tool that I, I, I had neglected to mention, but it's a very new tool and it's not SEO, but it's kind of, uh, I think it's a little bit more of a holistic version of SEO and it's like audience intelligence. And and I'm bringing up SparkToro, which is Brand Fishkin's new, new tool. And I think that tool is super interesting if you work in like, like let's face it, for a lot of, of people in the industrial space, you we are in a very low keyword um uh, arena, right? There's just not a high volumes for some of the stuff that we got that we're selling or or we're peddling or we're trying to trying to build demand for. And so, I think one of the things you got to look at is, is ways to be creative um, to find people. And so, I think SparkToro is a really interesting tool for that because it gives you a sense of you know what those audiences are into in terms of like who they follow on Twitter or what podcasts do they listen to. Um, and it's free. You get ten you get ten searches a month. You can use Boolean search methods. Um, it's not that expensive if you wanted the paid version either. And, and I think if like, if, if you're not sold on SEO because you don't want to get kind of in the weeds with keywords, I think, you know, a, an audience intelligence tool like SparkToro is a really good alternative to look at and see if you get better, better results out of that and, and out of the findings that you get with it. So this is kind of a good transition. The last SEO tool that I would talk about is specifically for WordPress, which is the Yoast SEO plugin. And that's what I used in my last company, SensorX, on their website. It basically just analyzes all your pages and says, do you have the keyword in the title, in the URL slug, in the body of the content, in the alt text for the images, etc. So it'll like run that check for you and Sometimes you ignore its recommendations because it's a computer, but it's a good way to just quickly check all of your pages. And if I remember correctly, it's also got a feature that'll kind of tell you how readable the text is, which is becoming increasingly important in SEO and is just important in terms of your marketing being able to resonate and convert people. And so I'm curious, Matt, whether you use anything or you have any opinions on tech that is aimed at copywriting? Yeah. So I've used free tools before. So there's one called Hemingway, Hemingway Hemingway.app. And that's a tool that I've used. I've thrown copy on there just to keep it, keep it nice and tight. Um, And it really just scores your text for readability. um, Really tries to encourage you to be short, choppy sentences and honestly basically models it to you to write like Ernest Hemingway. That's why it's called Hemingway.app. Um, but uh, I always thought that was useful. I just used it as a guide for myself. Copy is a, is a tough thing I think to be, to have as a tool. I think that's one of those things where you have to just practice it, right? Um, headline writing and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's like when that Congressman said about pornography, I know it when I see it, like, you know, good copy when you see it, right? It's just like, and I'm not sure there's a tool that can mimic that for you. There's there's one that um, I think Descript is, is maybe the name of it or, or oh, Co-Schedule is the other one. So Co-Schedule, I think, is, is another 
is another tool that you can use to to plug in your 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 copy and your headline and all that stuff and it'll analyze it for you and tell you how impactful it is with sort of like emotional cues and actionable cues and stuff like that. Uh, it's just co-schedule, CO schedule. Um, and, and that's a really cool tool as well. I've seen that's another one to help you kind of work or refine your copy for blogs or for email or for anything of that nature. Yeah. The other one I've seen is Grammarly. And yeah, I'm, Grammarly. I'm kind of interested in these tools. We don't really use them to be honest at Firetrace, but from like a VP of marketing perspective, when, if I'm going to be the editor in chief for all content, which you are, I don't, I don't want to be telling people like you're writing in the passive voice too much. Right. I'm cool with the tech tool telling people that, right. I, I want to edit at like a high level where, where a computer can't do this editing for me. So I'm kind of interested in baking it into processes in that regard, but it's like not my top priority right now. Right. And I think it's a good idea to bake that in processes. You want to make sure that, you, that it's matching the tone and the brand that you're trying to build, right? And sort of like the active or passive voice or the, the grammar, you know, that's not really something I think you want to be focusing your time on, at least at the level that you're at, right? Yeah. Um, so I, that's where I think those come in. You want to, you want to hit on design tools? I, I do kind of want to hit on design tools. Um, I, I, we may want to go in a different direction on design tools, though. So tell me where you're thinking and I'll tell you where I'm thinking. Well, I mean, I used to be a one-person marketing department, and I am not at all a designer. So I leaned on a couple of design tools, uh, Canva, yeah. They're basically the same thing. They have just like kind of off-the-shelf templates for Facebook ads and, you know, things you can use on your website and, and LinkedIn posts and every social media and you know, they're, they're just following good design principles, which I don't have the time to go out and study and probably don't have an aptitude for. So it's nice to be able to just like drag and drop my colors and my fonts into these templates. And then it looks roughly on brand if you're working without a designer. So if you're in that situation, those are kind of the go-to tools I would recommend. But beyond that, I don't have a ton of insight into design tools. Yeah, Canva's awesome. I didn't actually discover Canva until this summer. Um, bad on me because design is like the worst thing I do as a marketer. I think a lot of people think like all marketers are good at, or all salespeople think marketers are good at design and it's just not the case. Um, like I suck in Photoshop so bad. Um, in design, I've, in design, I mean, we use Adobe Suite at, at my last job or at Benzel. Um, and I, in design was something I was pretty proficient in. I've used it, I've used it plenty in my life. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, Canva, I think is, is, is such a great tool. Um, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of it as well for exactly the same reasons that you said, um, it's really good for like, you know, even if to use it as a crutch tool to help you edit stuff in like iMovie and we can get into video things as well. Um, and I want to get into that next actually, cause that's what I was thinking when you mentioned design, but yeah, Canva's definitely great free tool. Um, you can build almost anything paid version is not that expensive either. But um, you can build newsletters in it. You can build ads in it. You can build um, you can build thumbnails in it. Um, I mean, there's just so many things you can build in it. It's, it's I, I also I've built um, I built images in it for like my website. Like when I wanted to do like product reviews, I built all of the creative in Canva. Like if you don't really have any design skills, it's really a good way to build stuff that doesn't look very templated or cookie cutter. You, you can obviously throw all your branding elements on it. Um, I think you can import fonts as well. Um, at least on the paid version. So super, super useful tool for sure. 
Yeah, so we have a designer at Firetrace. She does all the heavy lifting. She's also on Adobe Suite, so InDesign. I used to use InDesign at my last job, but mostly like editing templates that a, that a graphic designer had made for us. I do think you kind of need to be a graphic designer to really get the most out of InDesign. So yeah. whenever I needed to do a little more heavy lifting and I didn't have a designer on the team, I would just go on Upwork and find one. And you might have to cycle through a couple of different Upwork freelancers before you find somebody awesome, but then they become your go-to and you just go back to them. For sure. And yeah, I mean, at Benzel, we were such a, we were such a catalog heavy company and it was always going to be part of our collateral. So all the brochures and stuff like that, they were all in InDesign and I wish I could have farmed that out. I, I honestly regret not doing it more. I posted on LinkedIn about that, I think, recently, where it was like, if I was director of marketing today, what would I do? I would outsource that stuff immediately because um, it's, it's, it's a lot of time, frankly. And you could be doing way more impactful activities than editing your brochure for, for copy or for you know making sure that it's, the images are in the right place or the proper resolution. Like, I, just, I just think there's way, way better ways to spend your time. And, it's more. It's probably more expensive for you to slave over that for you know eight, eight, eight to twelve hours. But yeah, um, for sure, I just think Adobe Adobe Suite is just and it's one of the things you see in most manufacturing companies that, that's used for for those sorts of uh, items. Um, let's get into video real quick. Um, so, and when I want to say video, it's not necessarily like you know Premiere Pro or iMovie, but I actually want to get into like some of the stuff that we use to do the micro content because I get a lot of questions about that. Um, and so tell me a little bit about the tools that we use to do some of the micro content that we've done for the podcast. And then some of the stuff that you've been featured on for micro content that people have done with they've used you. Yeah. So first of all, the whole tech stack behind the podcast is anchor. Yeah, um, anchor.fm is how we distribute the podcast, to all the places that people can listen to it. So we literally upload it to Anchor and then they take care of like distributing to Apple and Spotify and all that. Zencaster is what we use to record. It's awesome because it's recording locally on each of our microphones. So we don't lose any of the audio because of a bad internet connection. It is kind of glitchy sometimes, but overall I think it's improved our audio quality a lot and we can always kind of use Zoom as a backup. And then we're using Wave, W-A-V-V-E, to take the audio clips from the podcast and make them into moving waveform videos that we can post on LinkedIn and help get some distribution for some of the best, most awesome quotes from each of our episodes. Right. So there's a couple other tools you can use for that. Uh, Veed, V-E-E-D, is another one. Splashio is another one as well. I think Descript is another tool you can use to do that too. I don't know for sure about Descript. Um, I've heard of it. I believe that's one of the functions that it does. I'll give you guys a tip on if you use Veed or Wave. It's limited in the fonts. It's a little limited in the branding you're able to do. So I would recommend, if you could, I'd recommend building actually your image template in Canva and then just importing it from Canva to the tool and then just using Veed or Wave to create your um, to create your captions. Because what's really useful about those tools is the automatic transcript captioning it does for you, right? Like it basically generates that for you in, in, in a minute and with really very little um, editing that you have to do on your part. So I think that's really where the value of that is more so than their ability to build like the actual branding elements. I think that's where they're actually pretty weak. Um, 
And so that's that, that's kind of what I would recommend if you want something that's a little bit more branded and a little less cookie cutter than what Vita Splashio are going to give you. Um, just combining the free Canva stuff you could do to create some branded templates, just like a one-to-one square format, 500 by 500 pixels, whatever it is. And then, you know, using those tools to create that transcript for you. So you have that. So you, cause you, you want to caption your videos. I mean, anyone, I mean, most people are scrolling through this stuff on their phone. You're going to need the caption so they can stop and read it if they're going to consume it. Um, and, that, and that's where I think those tools are really useful. Okay. So should we finish off on like a lightning round? Any other tech we didn't cover, like mention it? That's yeah. Cool. Okay. So here's, here's the couple that come to mind for me. Powtoon is this like animated video maker that you don't have to have any video skills to use. I've only used it for internal videos because I, you know, I can't really get the best out of it to make it look nice enough for customer facing stuff, but it's really fun for internal videos and video goes a long way with people. And a lot of time, you know, it's not in the budget to go make an internal video, but you can definitely use this tool Powtoon. And then the other thing uh, that I had always wondered about was how are people getting their LinkedIn analytics? Like, how do they know that a million people viewed their posts in the last six months? And it's because they're using this tool called Shield, Shield app. Uh, I think it's, I think the website's shield.ai. And so Shield gives you extra LinkedIn analytics that LinkedIn.com doesn't give you. It's like $10 a month. I, to be completely honest, I tried it for a little while and then just decided it wasn't worth it. Like I kind of stopped looking at the data, so I stopped using it, but that's how people are getting that level of LinkedIn data. If you ever see people post about how they've reached a million people in six months on LinkedIn. All right. So I'll add a couple more. Um, the first one I want to mention for marketers here is Google Tag Manager. Um, really, really useful for organizing all of your tracking codes. Um, and also adding custom tracking codes. The other good thing about Google Tag Manager, it's a really small line of code you put on your website. Uh, one of the things that slows your website down is putting all those tracking codes from like LinkedIn and Facebook and Google Ads and all the other things you want to throw on there. So uh, Google Tag Manager is a super useful tool and I would recommend learning how to use it. Um, it's not that hard. There's plenty of good YouTube tutorials on how to use it. Um, so, And it's a good way to just keep all of your code organized, essentially. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's really useful in that regard. You can add the scroll depth. I think maybe people have heard me mention that on webinars or something like that. You add the scroll depth feature to your website on a tool like um, on Google Tag Manager. Um, if you don't want to do that, another tool you guys can use are heat map tools for your website. So Hotjar, um, FigPi, which is by uh, Khalid Saleh, who was a guest on our podcast, and Lucky Orange are, are, are three tools you can use for that. Those are really useful if you want to see how people are interacting with your website, um, if you want to see where people are bailing out. Really good for things like your homepage or for your key product page. Um, or if you have something like, if you have something of that nature, if you have like a Google ad that you're running and you want to see like, are people getting to the form or are they getting to the main CTA? Um, I think the heat map tools, they're not very expensive and they're really useful. So uh, I would recommend test test driving one of those. I feel like 10 bucks a month. And I think a lot of those run two week free trials. Um, so I would recommend those. Um, and then another tool that I'm not warm on at all, but that's out there and you could use it is a tool called Uplead. And so Uplead is a tool you can use to generate contacts for if you're doing targeting accounts and you want to send cold outreach to them. 
Um, it's, it's a really good tool to search for people by like um, website or by company. You can filter it by, um, you can filter them by position. Um, it's, it's, it's fairly affordable. Um, I, I, I will say that it's not my favorite tool because if you're going to use that to send cold outreach email, the open rate is going to be really low and the click-through rate is going to be really low. Um, but if you're going to do it for like really targeted things like um, like let's say you have one account in mind that you're already doing business with, but they have other offices kind of in the area or, or in the country that you want to do business with. I think that's a scenario where it works if you can keep that list nice and tight. So Uplead is another tool that I, I would look into. I would not use it as a crutch. I would not rely on it, but it is definitely something at least exploring to see if you could use it responsibly and in a way that's effective for you. The other one that came to mind while, while you were listing off some of those, first of all, Hotjar, great shout out. We're using that. We just started using that and I'm really excited about some of the value we're going to get out of it. The other one that came up is uh, Mockflow is an online wireframing tool that Refine Labs actually turned me on to. Jay Barron, shout out. Um, it's it's super easy to like create a wireframe so that you can capture your marketing ideas and then use those to collaborate with a designer to make your web pages come to life. And I think a good note to end on is that my favorite marketing tool of all time is not at all a tech tool. It is two diagrams from a company in Switzerland called Strategizer, which is strategy with a Z-E-R at the end, the value proposition canvas and the business model canvas. Because if you do not understand your value proposition to your customer and you do not understand what makes your business model work in delivering that value proposition to that target customer, then all the marketing tech tools in the world are not going to get you anywhere. So check out those tools if you want to do some work on the fundamentals. For sure. I'll throw two more quick tools out there. Um, another wireframe tool, Envision app is good. Um, usually that's something you'd work on with the, if you have a developer in-house or if you hire someone, they may use that as a tool. Another one, if you're very video heavy, which is a great way, a great video tool to use to get comments um, on videos. It's something called frame.io. Basically, when you edit, when you have your video published at like, uh, you know, 30, 90, whatever percent level, you can upload it there, give, give whoever you want the link. They can comment on it in real time. And so basically those comments will be right there and, and timestamp for you. So you can see exactly what they mean when they're commenting on a certain thing in your video draft, which I think is really useful um, Nick, our videographer at Gorilla, uses it and uh, been really impressed with that tool every time I've seen it and had a chance to use it. Very cool. Quick shout out to Michelle, a previous podcast guest, for giving us the idea for this episode. We appreciate you asking questions. If anybody who's listening to this has a question that you want us to address in a future episode, shoot us a message on LinkedIn don't use our industrial marketer podcast email that we shouted out in previous episodes because neither of us check it. Just search us on LinkedIn and hopefully by next week we will have a new awesome name and intro outro for the show and we can bring you some more episodes starting in the month of December, starting with Dan Richards from Zometry. But thanks for listening to this one today and we'll see you when we get back after the Thanksgiving break.